This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Remember, all I'm offering is the truth, nothing more. Around. Around. We, don't we don't waste, waste time. time. Over here at his hard line. Let's, Let's go. go. Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people.
welcome to the show. Let's get started. You were tuned in to the His Hardline Podcast, where we ignite independent and accurate thought, break the chains and shackles of mental bondage, challenge societal norms, and traverse through the timeless teachings of our Heavenly Father. Join us as we liberate minds and embrace the power of the Great Awakening while embracing true sovereignty. I am Jason, your co-host with our Sovereign Lord and Savior Christ Jesus at my side because he is the host with the most and the most high. He's at the helm behind the wheel in the captain's chair. And he is steering this great ship through these crazy rough waters and this storm that we call life. So welcome to his hard line. Today's reading will be out of the book of Matthew chapter 13. And today's show title is called 98% of people are drifters. Daily disclaimer, please be advised that I am not a doctor, holistic health expert, financial advisor, biblical scholar, a bar lawyer, and which means do not take your legal advice from me. While I am a member of the Michigan General Girl Assembly in good lawful standing, I am not the official face or voice of the National State or County Assembly. Remember that. And I do not endorse or advocate for violence unless it's in self-defense of me and my family. And please note that the opinions, thoughts, and statements expressed on this platform are solely my own and for educational and entertainment purposes only. There you all go, ladies and gentlemen. So, happy Saturday, happy, happy Saturday. One more day before Christmas. One more day before Christmas. Ah, yes. Let me take a sip of my coffee here while we let this music play out a little bit. Got my happy face coffee mug, if you saw it on Telegram. Big old, great big happy face. Some good coffee. Yeah, yeah. So, where is everybody going this this year for Christmas? Where is everybody going? You guys traveling? You guys driving? You flying somewhere? Or are you like one of our listeners, April, and you're somewhere in a Central American country like Belize, and you're down by the beach, and you're just secluded away from all the world, which doesn't quite sound that bad, actually, if you ask me. That sounds like a real good idea. Um, I'm actually a little bit jealous because Belize has always been a place that my wife and I thought about visiting. Always thought that would be kind of a cool place to visit. So anyways, but, uh, let's see here. So Nancy said she already drank her coffee, man, already drank her coffee. That's crazy. Yeah. I'm just, uh, I'm just getting myself up and rolling and, uh, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a good day. Today's my only day off because next week I got a, a, a barrage of days off. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good, it's a good, good day. Got my mom in the house here. Good morning. Let's see here. So who else? Like I said, uh, I didn't do a podcast the last couple of days. I've been preoccupied. Um, <laughs> first off, do I have a five, five? The sound, does the sound sound all right? Or does it sound like I'm in a bathroom? I just want to make sure that the sound is okay and crystal clear. Just want to make sure. Okay, good, 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 good. But, um, yeah, so um, I didn't do a podcast yesterday. Well, the day before I didn't do one just uh, because, gosh, you know, what did I do? Let's see. Yesterday was Friday, Thursday. I can't remember what I did Thursday. Thursday, I can't remember what the reasoning was for Thursday. I think it was just simply I just wanted to have a break. And then yesterday, um, 
w- ended up happening. So I ended up working yesterday as well, but we ended up having to, uh, go through this daunting task of getting my daughter's, um, Christmas gift. Let me just share this little story with you. You guys will appreciate this. I think, I think so, <laughs> oh, man, I tell you, um, so my wife runs across this, um, this post on Facebook and the Facebook marketplace and hold on. I just want to make sure I have what I need here from my notes. Cause what I see on my computer and what I see on my phone are two totally different things. It's not catching up with each other. All right, whatever. We'll figure it out. Um, but she found something on Facebook marketplace and our daughter has these things that are called American dolls. They're, I think that's what they're called. The American doll. Uh, my wife is in the chat. Maybe she can correct me. I think that's what they're called. And they're, they're little dolls that stand about, you know, I guess 14 inches, 12 to 14 inches. And they're just like little dolls. They have different types of dolls. They got equestrian dolls. They have, you know, they have DJ dolls. They have Dr. American dolls. They have all different types, just kind of like Barbie, right? But larger. Oh, excuse me. They're 18 inches tall. Yes. Thank you. And so with these 18 inch tall dolls comes basically what the American dolls are. They're just big, giant Barbies that don't look like Barbies, except like little kids. Like they're just little baby dolls. So it's like little baby doll Barbies, but giant. Okay. And with these giant dolls comes a giant accessories, larger toys, larger cars and campers and crap that takes up your entire basement. I'm not even kidding. I think after this podcast, I'll take, I'll take a video and I'll do like a video montage collage or whatever of all these giant toys. Okay. And I'll put it on in a video format and I'll put it on telegram. And with these giant toys, that go with the giant 18 inch American doll. And you might be saying, Oh, Jason, come on, 18 inches. It's just, it's just a little doll. How, what are you talking about? Well, you have no idea because as my wife peruses the Facebook marketplace. Okay. In fact, you know what? No, no, no. Hold on. We're, we're going to do this. This is, I know she's awake. We're doing it now, babe. You better be prepared. I'm calling you. I'm calling you. You better pick up. Cause I love, I love her laughter. Oh my Lord. (laughs) And it starts. So you're going to be on the phone while I tell this story. (laughs) You're going to be on this phone. Now, Haven, we'll get to you in a minute because you're going to tell us how excited you are. But first, so Kate, my wife, peruses Facebook. She finds this lady selling a, I don't know, how was it listed in Facebook? I don't even know how it was listed. How was it titled? this thing uh, i think it was just dollhouse i was looking at yeah stuff. <laughs> a dollhouse and the dimensions were what 48 w- inches wide by how tall hold on let me tell you i still have it it is 46 inches in length like width wide yep. or like width yeah, yep length. width is 25 inches like it's deep yeah depth inches. the depth yep yep and then it is 72 inches tall. Okay. So 72 inches tall now. Okay. So thank you for that. So this is why I wanted you on the phone because this is, this makes the story. So, so, oh man, I'm just reliving the hell in my head right now. So 
So we go to the house. So first off, I'm trying to figure out, okay, so the husband is saying you might need three men. I'm like, okay, this must be a pretty damn big house. I'm like, oh crap. So, <laughs> so we're like trying to, you know, corral, you know, uh, just corral the, you know, big brawn guys that I know. I'm like, this thing can't be that big where you need three guys. I'm like, no, it's just going to be me and somebody else. So my wonderful neighbor, and I would even consider my best friend across the street, got, um, um, Nick, who also I got working, you know, working where I work at. And, uh, so he's got a pickup truck. In fact, he offered his pickup truck, you know, because we didn't want to be those friends that be like, Oh, Hey, you got a truck. Uh, you can help us with everything in life that needs a truck. So we were trying to figure a way to get this thing over to our house. And my wife put a post out there and he just saw it. And he was like, dude, like, why didn't you ask me? Like, well, first off, I didn't want to be that friend, (laughs) but he was like, dude, I'll help you. I'm like, Oh, well, cool. Well, thanks. So that solved that problem. So fast forward, we're at the lady's house now and we go downstairs into the basement. Now the basement is not just a straight stairwell down. It's straight down and then 90 degrees off to the left. And it's a very small landing. (laughs) We get down there and me and Nick, and we're looking at this thing. We're like, I'm thinking to myself, what the hell did my wife just get us into? (laughs) I'm like, what did she get us into? This is bull crap. And so bigger than a, you measure on a wall and when you see it in person, it's like, Oh my goodness. It's bigger than you expect. This sucked. This, this sucked. Just looking at it. I didn't even pick it up and it already sucked. <laughs> and it was really massive. Everybody It's like, <laughs> I had a mind blow. Yeah. When I saw it. So we're going to get to your excitement here in a second, sweet pea. So, cause she was in the car, Haven was in the car. We were trying to hide this from her cause we were going to hide this at my mother-in-law's house. So my wife can work on it. So I asked the lady, I said, how'd your, I said, do you have a walkout basement by chance? She goes, nope. I'm like, oh, that's great. I said, how did your husband get this down here? Did he build it down here out of curiosity? She goes, no, he built it out in the garage. And then him and my father-in-law cussed up a storm while they were bringing it down. I'm like, I could see why, because the dings are all over the wall. <laughs> that I mean, it just, they need new drywall. It's so bad. Anyway, we've tried every which way to get this stupid thing up the stairs. And we were having no luck. We've tried every angle, every possible way. Now we're sweating. We are sweating so bad. Our shirts are saturated. At least mine is. I'm just, I'm thinking, this sucks. I was this close. And now the thing was 50 bucks. It was 50 bucks. I was ready to take that 50 bucks back from the lady. Cause at this point, Katie, my wife, she had already left to go meet us at her mom's. So me and my, my neighbor, Nick, we're like sitting here, like, how the hell are we getting this stupid thing up? I'm like, this freaking sucks. So I was and here's now here's the kick in the shorts. I'll just give you this little side, this little side note. I told my wife, I said, before we went over there, I'm like, tell him we'll give him 40 bucks for it because it wasn't being sold. I said, tell him we'll give him 40 bucks. Um, if, if no one else will take it, he's like, Oh no, sorry. Basically. I don't know what exactly what he said. He's like, no, nah, I gotta have 50. And what's stupid is his stupid post said, what did it say? 50 bucks or best offer. So it said, yes, $50 OBO which is or best offer. So I offered 40 and he says, not at this time. Yeah. So like, don't put OBO if you're not willing to take or best offer. Like what the hell? Like we only went down to $10. It's not like we are like, Hey dude, we'll give you 10 bucks for it. No, we just decreased it by 10. We are like, look, we'll give you two twenties. We'll give you two Andrew Jackson's and we'll call it good. Right? Nope. Nope. Not at this time. Like dude, then take OBO off. 
he, so he also yeah like you said he built this thing if you were to buy one new like wayfair whatever they're three to six hundred dollars yeah and we don't we don't mention wayfair because they're a bunch of child traffickers over there so we don't yeah <laughs> but yeah no but. All, but all kidding aside though she's right you buy this thing brand new you're looking at five six hundred bucks it's a lot of it's a lot of material I mean, the material alone, this guy must have spent, must have been at least $130, $40, depending on when he bought this wood. So, so we're down in the basement. Now we can't get this thing up. I'm about ready to take our $50 back and tell this lady, no dice. Sorry. I, this is just too much trouble and we're just going to figure something else out. And she goes, well, if you guys don't take it, you know, then it's, it was just going to be, you know, firewood at this point. I'm like, I'm looking at her. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? I looked at my neighbor, Nick. I'm like, dude, what the hell? I'm like, this guy wouldn't even take 40 bucks. And what they were going to do was take it apart and burn it anyways. I'm like, oh, my God, you did not just tell me that. So finally, my neighbor, being the smart man that he is, because I'm not that clever, and he's very handy. He could practically build a house himself. He's one of those guys that builds a deck in a, in a weekend, all right? He's those. He's one of those guys. So he's a good guy to have a friend. <laughs> and by the way, Nick, I know you're listening to this on the download side. What up, bro? Um, <laughs> he's going to appreciate that. So he's like, well, do you have a drill? Because he's looking at how this thing was fastened together and it's all Phillips had uh, drywall screws. So she's like, I think so. So she finds a drill, brings it down. Thank God it had a charge. And he just zips all the screws out of certain parts. He takes two sides off and the roof off of it. So basically now what we did is we, we shortened it up. And so it's easier to bring up the stairs. Still awkward, still hard, but we get it up the stairs. Okay, so we finally get it into the truck and we bring it over to her mom's house. And now I'm stressing about marking up my mother-in-law's walls. I'm like, oh, dear God, we can't do this. We cannot mark up my mother-in-law's walls. She's going to have my ass on a platter. I know I said a bad word, but literally she would. Um, actually she wouldn't, she was actually very forgiving. She goes, if you mark up a wall, at least mark up the left side because that side needs to be redone anyways. So, okay. Now my wife is spending timeless, you know, just a, a, an extraordinary amount of time. How many hours would you say you have wrapped up in that thing, babe? Oh, I don't even know, to be honest. Would you say Each greater than 10 hours? Like, well, no, yeah, I would say greater sure. than 20 hours. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. She's had at least 20 hours in this thing, repainting it, making accessories, making actual little mirrors to put on the wall to fix on the wall like everything like she went through everything painted to trim different cut like everything to match our house so basically her dollhouse matches the exterior of our real house right the house we live in <laughs> so so now we get to yesterday and this would be why i did not do a podcast i had time to do a podcast but i was like i'm spent i am not doing a podcast i'll just do one in the morning <laughs> So we go to her mom's. It's still disassembled, thankfully. We get it in my my buddy Nick's truck. And um, and yeah, and she just sent me pictures. So I'll post them on Telegram. And so we um we get it in the truck and we we successfully bring it over to our house. And we get it up the stairs and with no casualties, nothing scratched, nothing, you know, because she was really worried about it. We took back roads and we got it here safe and sound. And my daughter, in the meantime, was staying at her grandma's house so we can put it together. So we bring it up the stairs, barely. It was like the perfect puzzle piece that fit just right. Yeah, because our stairs, even though it goes straight up, there's still a little ledge of ceiling 
that we still have to clear before it opens up to this big, you know, 18 foot space. And so it just barely grazed it with us not killing our backs. So we get it upstairs. We, you know, finally get it on solid ground. We were able to slide it at this point and we were able to successfully maneuver it in my daughter's room, assembled it back together again. And my wife then was able to commence staging it like she's an interior decorator for American doll house accessories. <laughs> so I got to say, ladies and gentlemen, even though this was pure hell, this thing was really cool. This thing was really nice. It, it is really, really solid. Um, I'll make sure I'll post videos and, and the pictures. But the reason I was not on last night is because I was spent doing that. I was like, there's no way I'm not doing a podcast. I'm hungry. I'm tired. I'm still bitter but it is cool it is a very cool dollhouse i mean now haven what what haven. Is, is she by you? oh Come here. i let her go play she was waiting oh okay now haven are you are you nearby she's here oh she's here okay now haven yeah okay now when grandma or when grandpa brought you home how how first off what did mommy do before you even knew you had it she had you do what i'm doing a hunt a scavenger hunt yeah scavenger hunt and it's this like, you and know, this walk everywhere in the house and you find these cards i tell you where to go let's try you go where the big old wrapper is on my door and then your door was wrapped right yeah and it then it was wrapped and the door behind it was shut that's right. Um, I think I'm gonna punch her. And yeah, my yeah. mom and dad were like, no, yeah, no. Yeah. yeah, so real no. hold on, pause there for a second, Haven. I'm glad you said that. Yeah, so Haven, and I didn't even think about this. I'm like, oh my god, we should have just left the door open because it would have been more I fun. Didn't think of it either. <laughs> so so Haven's like, I'm going to punch it. I'm gonna punch this wrapping paper. We're like, no, 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 you can't do that. That door is shut. You will break your fist, little girl. Like, don't do that. I'm like, that would have been a good idea to leave the door open because that would have been fun. So, anyway, so Haven unwraps the door. Okay, and now go ahead, Haven. Um, so I wrap it all down and then I open the door. I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my goodness. I like flip my head on the other <laughs> side of me. Were you super excited? Yeah, it's huge. It is pretty huge. It was really but my cool. Dad is my, but my dad is like bigger than the um, it's house. It's like the same size as daddy. Yeah, it's that, the same size as my dad. Yeah. So what's funny, so hold that thought for a second, Haven. We'll get back to your excitement because I know how much <laughs> you want to talk about it. So my wife was FaceTiming my mom, who's listening in right now. And my Katie was showing her on FaceTime. Like, you know, and, and when you do things on video, it doesn't do it justice until you have some frame of reference that, you know, is big or small. Right. And so she's showing her and my mom's like, oh, that is really, really cute. But how are the dolls going to fit in there? It looks still pretty small. <clears throat> and so because, you know, the dollhouse took up pretty much the frame of the screen uh, that, that was being you know filmed on it. And so I was putting I was I had to forget what I was doing. I was putting up lights or maybe they were already put up. I can't remember. But anyway. You were hanging them up. Yeah, I was hanging up the little twinkle lights. So I put twinkle lights on the roof of the house to make it look like it's got Christmas lights on it for her. Right. And so we're probably going to leave them up because she absolutely loves them. And um, and so anyway, when I stood in front of it, 
my wife was like, Joanne, like, look at your son now. Like, look at this house. This is how big it is. And my mom's face, her jaw dropped. She goes, oh, my God, that thing is big. Because, again, until you have a frame of reference of exactly how big it is and you have something to compare it to, you the, the, the video on FaceTime did no justice. And so, yeah, my Katie could see my mom's face and she was like, oh, my God. Yeah, my mom says right here in the chat, it's like the size of an arm wall. It is huge. It is big. <laughs> so hopefully you all understand why I did not do a podcast yesterday, because I was in the middle of bringing like the world's largest toy, practically toy accessory in my house. And I told my wife, I said, when we sell this house at some point in the future, this thing stays. Okay. And at that point, Haven will be big and will not want it. I said, but this thing stays. I am not taking this thing apart and bringing it back down and carrying it to God knows wherever. Cause I will, I will have a conniption. <laughs> so anyways, Haven. Yeah. So are you super excited about this thing that you got this house? Yeah. You all like literally have to see this a few times. Maybe it's like, it's huge. Yeah, it is really big. Hey, but, but you know what? More importantly, and, and hold on before I even ask or say this, anyone who's listening to this, who has kids, please turn down the volume um, because we're going to discuss a little fact about uh, S-A-N-T-A real quick. So I'll give you five seconds because I don't want to ruin that for anybody that still um, believes in that. In five, four, three. Claimer. two and one so haven yeah. is, is santa real no that's right we tell you the truth about it all right yeah so so yeah Not you real. nothing's real that's right well there's things that are real but santa and the tooth fairy's not real right the easter bunny's not real nothing except we celebrate jesus everybody that's right that's what <laughs> i was waiting for my girl that's right <laughs> She is going to be the one red pilling kids when they're like 10, 11 years old. <laughs> so anyways, well, this was fun. Well, I'm glad I'm glad we were able to share this story. Definitely glad we were able to share the story. Haven, is there anything else you want to add to the story before I hang up and we get further, you know, go on with the podcast? Well, I just want to say a little prayer for anyone that needs this. Good. I hope. Everyone's going to have to feel better, and I hope you all have a real feeling better day. And I hope you be having a great day, and God bless. Oh, that was really sweet, sweet P. That was very sweet. So, well, thanks for being a good sport, love, for being mm -hmm. here and adding to the story and your laughter. See, I, this is why I like telling stories that you're involved in. I know you don't like to contribute much because I know you sometimes don't like to speak publicly and I get that, but your laughter sometimes adds a good effect to the story because it's an infectious laugh and everybody loves her laugh. In fact, one little thing about my wife's laugh, ladies and gentlemen, when you get my wife to really laugh, her true <laughs> genuine laugh, my aunt Karen, God rest her soul. It's my mom's <laughs> sister. She passed away last year, but my aunt Karen always said, you need to catch your wife's laugh on recording and somehow make a ringtone out of it. She goes, I would love that. I would pay for that. <laughs> but anyway, so, all right, love. Well, I will let you go and I will continue on with the podcast here. 
All right. All right. Love you. Love you. <laughs> Bye. 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 So anyways, but yeah, that dollhouse, guys, it's freaking huge. Okay. So I, this probably obviously a podcast is going to go a little longer than an hour, of course. Um, this will probably be a two-part series um, on the 98% of people are drifters. This is going to be a two-parter because I got a lot of audio pieces that I'm going to play. That's um, from an audio book, um, which I'll get into on the second half of the show here. But uh, first, a couple things. So um, the IRS apparently delivered a Christmas gift of $1 billion in tax penalties being waived. Yeah, and I saw this on Telegram. It was actually posted on Axios.com. But yeah, days before Christmas, the Internal Revenue Service said it is waiving $1 billion in tax penalties for um, for uh, individuals and businesses and organizations who owe back taxes. <clears throat> so I was curious. So I went onto the IRS.gov website just to confirm this because they have like a news section on there that, you know, that they're doing. And yeah, this is this che- this story checks out. They are indeed waiving uh, over a billion dollars in tax penalties for 4.7 million individuals and businesses. I was like, wow, that is really freaking cool. Um, we just need to get rid of taxes now in general. <laughs> so this is why we need to assemble our general general assemblies, folks. Um, here's something else that's very interesting. So we approached on December 21st, which by the way, it was the first day of Christmas, the uh, winter solstice, right? A six-year delta. Um, so on December 21st of 2017, activated the executive order, and we've discussed this on a previous podcast, but executive order 13818. And <clears throat> there is a notice on the whitehouse.gov web page, right? Website. That is a notice of the continuation of the national emergency with respect to serious human rights abuse and corruption take. Hmm. Now, why would executive order 13818 be renewed? by the resident Biden in the White House. Seriously, you know, it's, 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 people don't understand that the resident is not the president and Trump is still in control and he is the commander in chief. And there is a continuity of government that we are operating under. (sighs) Keep taking that blue pill is all I can say. Take, take, keep taking that blue pill because remember executive order one, three, eight, one, eight was issued by, Commander-in-Chief Donald Trump. Okay. Commander-in-Chief Donald Trump, again, on 2017, December 20th, and it was titled uh, Blocking the Property of Persons Involved in Serious Human Rights Abuse and Corruption or Corruption. And the order targets individuals involved in corruption and serious human rights abuses like human trafficking, right, around the world. It's a global, it's a worldwide executive order. And what it does is it allows the U.S. government to freeze assets and block transactions of those identified. And it's aimed at combating worldwide corruption on human rights violations by targeting key people and entities responsible for such actions. And as we just saw not too long ago about the judge that's ordering the top 100 top creeper pedophile monsters on Epstein's list to be released here in the next 14 days, which I got a a little audio piece we're going to play before we get into the reading. Actually, that just kind of is actually a good segue because that is my next part of the note here. And so, yeah, as we discussed, the judge ordering uh, the top 100 child hype, you know, the, the top 100 high profile child predators to be named within 14 days from the Epstein flight log. There is going to be a lot of people that are going to be trying to lawyer up in fear of their names being dropped. And this, I got to honestly tell you, this new year of 2024 is already off to a great start. And we even haven't even hit New Year's yet. So let's 
Let's give this audio piece a quick listen to. ...of the records. The public may yet to be set for another frustration as Judge Preska froze her order from the becoming effective for two weeks to permit lawyers for the anonymous dose to file objections to the unsealing of the records. Now, I've been to a lot of islands in my life. I've been to tiki rooms, and I have had uh, Mai Tais, maybe a little bit of, uh, I don't know, pineapple juice. But while I was on the island, never once did I molest a child. So um, I'm sure if I went on a trip and I molested kids, I would be afraid too. So unfortunately for us, does are just child predators, and they're afraid to have their names known because they're kitty diddlers. Uh, if you want to know as much as I do who these people are so that we can get them in prison, leave me a comment below because we'd love to hear your feedback here at the Gateway Planet. Yeah, very, very interesting. Sorry, I was like, my, my, I remember when I did that screen recording, I kept hitting the pause button by accident like an idiot. Um, but yeah, so I, I find that very, very interesting. Now, um, I, I can't wait to hear that list. Now, I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to tell you this. Now, our, our, our Frosty the Snowman up there in Alaska, and those of you who are regular listeners and are part of the General Journal Assembly, the real General Journal Assembly, by the way, you know who that is. He actually got the list of, um, and I don't know where he got it, but I saw it. Um, we, we both posted it on true social, like a year and a half ago or a year, I think it was like maybe 14 months ago, possibly it's a lot of pages of uh, it, it's, it's, and, and it's not just a PDF file. It's not a PDF of typed up names. It's legit. Uh, scanned in copies of the flight log, like of the list, right? Of the list of people that flew on the Lolita Express with Epstein. There's a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of people listed on there. Now I tried going back as far as I could on Telegram or True Social. And the sucky thing about True Social is that you can't just type in a date and start looking at some of the posts from that point going forward. Like you have to keep scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. And so anyways, but there is a list and I think Destry put it on YouTube. I don't, I, I don't know how he did it. Maybe he took a video of all the, of all the list or whatever, but I think I have to ask him, but I think I remember him saying there's like over 86,000 views on that already, but nobody paid attention. Not very many paid attention. And it's like, so he, he's, you know, he's sat on this list for a minute. So the, it's very compelling to see that. In the next 14 days, a judge is going to release the top 100 people closest to Epstein that are going to be named. So I can't wait for that. Now, <clears throat> kind of pivoting one uh, to one more audio here uh, before we get into the reading. Now, I want to get into this, which is kind of interesting. Now, even with all the history that we have learned in the General General Assembly, right, because it is no secret that the history books have been manipulated and altered, right? And it's a challenge for us to learn every single thing that truly went on back in history, right? And to receive accurate accounts of all the documented chain of events leading up to present day, today. Now, listen to this young, what this one young woman did on her own time off. I think she's a, a teacher. And what she did leads us to a pretty startling revelation. Now, I have heard this before, but it, again, it's just one of those things. You just, you hear it, 
but you don't really have the backing of it, right? Like, okay, it's like, show me the proof. Well, this lady puts together proof of how all the presidents of the U.S. are related in some form or fashion. Listen to this. This is very interesting. So this is mind-blowing. A seventh grader spent her summer building a presidential family tree, and she discovered that every single United States president, with the exception of one, were all related. And all of them, every single one of them, are descendants of one single person. The former king of England, John Lackland, who signed the Magna Carta in 1215. Nobody had put this together before because most genealogists only focused on the male side of the family. But she went ahead and put together the male and female lineage of every single president and discovered that every one of them are related except for Martin Van Buren. This is something that definitely makes you look at the big picture a little bit differently. Check this out. George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, William Howard Taft, and President Barack Obama. One young girl traced them all back to one common ancestor. They're all cousins and all grandsons of John Lackland. It's the first family tree of its kind, pouring through more than half a million names for months. 12-year-old Bridge Ann D'Avignon discovered that all the U.S. presidents, except Martin Van Buren, are related to the former king of England, John Lackland Plantagenet. Mildred Reed is his first great-grandmother on George Washington. Obama, Mildred Reed, is the 10th great-grandmother. She started with George Washington, but unlike other professional genealogists that only looked at the male family lines, Bridge Ann was able to link the presidents together using both male and female ancestry. Before this, historians had only been able to link 22 family trees. I hate when they do videos like this and they put that stupid music in the background, but it is very interesting because there, it, she literally spent hours upon hours and days upon days literally i mean the the graph in the chart that she put together uh also researching the female familial um ancestry because again like it was saying a lot of uh ancestry uh researchers only back then looked at the male lineage now why that would be i don't know that's kind of stupid you'd think you'd look at both of them but uh she looked up both and tied all of them together now i find it interesting how this john lackland um was the one who was part of putting together the Magna Carta, because that is, of course, you know, one of our foundational documents that we that we follow within the General General Assemblies. Um, well, there's a single piece in there that we use, not the whole entire thing. There is one piece in there that we use, which is um, how we put together our um, I think, what is it? Our common law grant or no, 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 no. I, I can't remember. We read it a while ago. There is one piece because when you read the whole thing, obviously we don't follow the whole thing in modern day, but there is one important piece. It's toward the tail end of the Magna Carta of how we put together our general general assemblies where you have to have, I believe, according to that document, I think it was the 27 plus, uh, the 25 plus two or 25 plus three um, to, to form an assembly of sorts. I got to, I can't remember, forgive me. can't remember everything. Uh, but yeah, I just found that very interesting. I was like, wow, you know, just man, just, yeah, I agree. Nancy, she is quite the researcher. That is a type of individual that we need in the general general assembly. So if anybody knows this lady who did this, she is a seventh grade teacher. Tell her about the national hyphen assembly.net and, uh, have her become an assembly member wherever she's at. Cause that is the type of individual that I'm talking about right there. I mean, that right there is impressive. Okay, 
enough jabbering. Let's get into Matthew chapter 13. We're talking about, we're going to start off with the parable of the sower. Okay. Matthew chapter 13. Now this is a long chapter. Okay. So bear with me. There is 58 verses and you know how we roll over here. We read the whole chapter. Okay. But it's a good chapter because again, a lot of it is red letter language. So starting with verse one, uh, hold on one second. Let me just make sure I get something here in the queue. Okay, good. So Starting with verse one, uh, let's see here. Uh, na- wait, before I start, Nancy was asking, he said it was a seventh grader. Did I misunderstand? Yep. Yeah, no, no. She was a seventh grade teacher, seventh grade teacher. And uh, yeah, very interesting. Very smart lady. Um, yeah, seventh grade teacher, because she definitely didn't look like a seventh grader. She looked like a fully grown woman. Um, okay. Verse one, Matthew 13. So on the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea and a great multitudes were gathered together to him so that he got into the boat and sat and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables saying, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth and they immediately sprang up before they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they they were scorched and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop and some a hundredfold, some 60 and some 30. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now he gets in this next part, starting with verse 10, he gets into the purpose of the parables. And so he says, and the disciples came and said to them, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, it has not been given for whoever has to him more will be given and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And he and in them, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says hearing you will hear and shall not understand and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of the people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. In their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly, I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and hear what you hear and did not hear it. Now we get into the parable of the sower explains, starting with verse 18. So therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. And this is he who received seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and becomes unfruitful. Excuse me. And he becomes unfruitful. 
But he who received seed on the ground, on good on the good ground, is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces, some a hundredfold, some sixty and thirty. Another parable he put to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servants said to him, Do you want us to then us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let them grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now we get into the parable of the mustard seed. Now another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air came, come and nest in its branches. Another parable he spoke to them is the kingdom of heaven is like, a, is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. Now, all these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables, and without a parable he did not speak to them, that it may might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables, and I will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the world. Then Jesus sent the multitudes away and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And he answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be a wailing and a gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like the treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to share and they sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age that the angels will come forth, separate separate the wicked from among the just, 
and cast them into the furnace of fire. And there will be a wailing and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to them, Having you, have you understood all these things? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he said to them, Therefore, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a household, a householder who brings out of the treasure things new and old. Now, as we get into verse 53, Jesus rejected at Nazareth. And it reads, Now it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, that he departed from there. And when he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brother James, uh, James, uh, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? I wonder if this is a typo here. Um, And his sisters, are they not? all with us where then did the man did this man get all these things so they were offended at him but jesus said to them a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house now he did not do except now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief and that is the reading of matthew chapter 13 verses 1 through 58 a very big chapter very big chapter. <clears throat> so this chapter of um, Matthew is obviously packed with a lot of layers. There's a lot of wisdom in there because there's all these parables that Jesus shared. And the core message revolves around the various conditions of the human heart, right? When confronted with divine teachings. So again, like it was kind of displaying here in the text, imagine the sower scattering seeds across different types of terrain, right? Some of the seeds fell upon a hardened path. They were unable to penetrate the ground and they were swiftly snatched up by passing birds and were consumed. And then that basically represented hearts that were closed off to the word of God. All right. Um, Again, this would be kind of like people that were are distracted with, you know, different types of distractions and doubts and preoccupations, you know, of the world, which basically prevent the message from taking root. That's what that was talking about. Then there were the seeds landing on rocky soil where they sprout quickly, but then they lack the depth to understand the adversity. And so those hearts are the ones that enthusiastically receive the divine teaching, right? Receive God's word and his wisdom. But they quickly, as quickly as they, you know, take root, they quickly falter when they face trials and opposition. So basically they just fall to the wayside the minute they're faced with failure, right? And so what they do, because they can't face adversity in a proper way, they fail to let the wisdom of the teachings take root in their lives. So basically they don't apply they don't they don't even give it a chance to apply the teachings that god has in this book in matthew to take root in their own lives now you have the seeds that find their way to soil that's filled with thorns and weeds now here the word of god struggles to flourish in the middle of I guess what you could call worldly concerns for a lack of better terms, right? Like anxieties and the pursuit of material possessions, right? Now, these hearts 
become entangled in the cares of the world, hindering the growth of spiritual understanding. And then you have the hope which lies in the seeds that fall in the good soil, right? The fertile and rich soil. This soil represents the receptive heart, right? It's re it represents the receptive heart, which is open to being humble. It's open to being um, unencumbered by distractions. And in this fertile ground, the word of God takes root, it grows, and it bears very good, abundant fruit. Now, this heart is rich with understanding, and it nurtures the teachings that are given by God and allows them to flourish and transforms one's life. So this parable, it challenges us to examine the state of our hearts. Now, are we open to receiving and nurturing God's wisdom? Or are we, or do we resemble that hardened path or that rocky ground or that soil that is filled with distractions or thorns, as it explains here in the, in the Bible, right? Which again is representative, symbolic of like the distractions and anxieties of the world. It, because again, it challenges us to cultivate hearts, to be receptive of the word of God. Okay, by again, and how do we become receptive of the word of God? You have to remove those obstacles. You have to, that, that, you know, those, those obstacles that hinder our understanding, right? You got to take away those distractions. Well, what are those distractions? Well, we discussed them just a couple days ago, and we have been discussing these over the last several episodes of the podcast, social media. Now, I'm not saying you have to give up social media, but this is kind of one of the things that if you're going to have a receptive heart, you have to free the noise that's unnecessary in your mind, which kind of goes into the topic we're going to discuss on the other side of the podcast here. But you have to free your minds of the noise so you can hear God. So by actively tending to our hearts, we can create a healthy environment where the teachings of the kingdom take root deeply. And by that, what occurs is a transforming of our thoughts. It transforms how we act. And ultimately, which is very important, it transforms our attitudes and our thought, or I already said thoughts, but our attitudes. Having an attitude of gratitude. And so the aim here should be to foster hearts that not only receive, but also actively nurture the word of God, allowing it to flourish within us and manifest in, in the abundance of virtues like love, compassion, and righteousness. Which basically is the true essence of the kingdom of heaven. So anyway, so that is the reading of Matthew chapter 13 and the little summary. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to take a quick little short break, just take a sip of water real quick, and then we'll get in the other part of the show here. 98% of people are drifters. We will be right back in about a few seconds, 30 seconds.
All right. I knew this was going to be a longer than normal podcast, but this will make up for the two days that I was absent. I know you guys will understand. Well, plus we are in, you know, the Christmas season, everybody's busy. I know not many people are going to be listening live and people are busy traveling. People are busy doing family stuff. And so I get it, you know, it's, it's just kind of, it kind of goes with the territory. You know what I mean? So, um, but anyways, but, uh, yeah, so I hope everybody, if you're traveling, I hope you are having a safe traveling day. Uh, they say the 23rd is the most traveled day of the year because the average individual travels roughly, well, at least in Michigan, I don't know about other states, but in Michigan, because of the size of the state, uh, the average Michigan, uh, uh, you know, resident or whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, they travel 50, boy, I tell you what, what a, what a loss of words. I had a big brain fart there, but the average Michigander, all right, we'll just say, uh, travels on an average 50 miles by road. Uh, to get to their family. Now, if you're in Texas or Alaska, where the state is like a little country, uh, that that average is probably like 400, 500 miles. <laughs> so anyways, multiply that by 10. Um, so anyways, now I want to play a quick audio piece before I get into the actual topic of the show, which kind of it, it plays, uh, it kind of segues into what I want to discuss. Listen to this real quick. The American people are the biggest slaves of any citizenship in the entire world. Mm. And let me tell you why. Because the American people are the only people that are told, go work super hard, go go take a massive amount of your life, and we're going to take at least half your money, all right? And then when we take half your money, we're going to send it overseas, or we're going to mismanage it, or we're going to steal it. Or we're going to funnel it back into our political contributions. Or we're going to send it over here for quote unquote aid. Okay, where's our motherfucking aid? Where's our aid from from Kuwait? Or By the way, I totally forgot that guy even said an F-bomb. My apologies. So I'm just going to say, probably turn this down if you have kids because there's still a little bit more audio on this. I totally forgot this guy had a bad word. My apologies. Or any of these other rich countries to fix our homeless problem. Do you ever notice that none of the other citizens on the planet work so that we can have a better here in America? It's always the other way around. Why the fuck are we, the citizens of the United States of America, financing the well-being of every other country in this planet? Okay? Until people wake up to that and say no more, shit's going to continue. This land of the free. That's a fucking joke. It's a fucking joke, dude. Land of the free, land of the motherfucking worker bees is what we are. We work and work and work and work and work and work and work. Government takes more than half of our money. And you say, oh, well, they don't take half of mine. You know, they only take half of the rich people's money. Oh, really? What do you pay when you buy shit? What do you pay when you own shit? What do you pay on your personal property? What do you pay when you put gas in your car? Okay, and if you add all those things up that you pay, they're taking 50 percent of your money, too. And they're telling you to work, 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 the American dream, the American dream, the American dream. And then we'll take half your shit and we send it to other countries. We are the world's ATM. The people of America are the world's ATM. Yep. It needs to end. People need to say no more. They need to get smart about taxes. Do you ever question why you weren't taught personal finance, balancing your checkbook or taxes when you were in high school? Why isn't that part of the public education? Why are they teaching instead gender ideology and all this bullshit? 
because they want you to be financially ignorant so that you will go through your life not realizing how much they're actually oppressing you and how much they're actually stealing from you. And then they're going to tell you this is freedom. No, the f- it isn't. It's not even close. The American. He is not wrong. And I apologize for the F-bombs, but you know what? He is absolutely right. And you know how I roll on this show. I, I don't like to swear. Um, I, I don't, in fact, and that's one thing that I'm really going to be actively trying to get better at. But, you know, aside from his abrasive coarse language, I will say he's not wrong. He is not wrong. Um, and like I said, I tried to bleep out as much as I could. I was trying to anticipate when he was going to drop an F-bomb. And what's interesting and what was hard about that video is, half of his f-bombs were actually silenced and then the other half weren't i'm like what really like how do you how do you silence half of them and not the other half but anyways um but yeah he's absolutely right when are people going to wake up because we i swear the united states we are the world's atm we are the farm we are the farm and we are the stupid ignorant chattel that lets it happen this is again why I titled today's podcast, 98% of people are drifters. And with this, what I'm getting at here, okay, what I'm getting at here, hold on, let me just get something off my phone here so I don't have too many windows open here. What I'm getting at here is um, is um, from a book. Okay, maybe some of you heard about it. Now, I played an audio piece the other day from Bedros Koulian, and he referenced a book called Outwitting the Devil by Napoleon Hill. He's also got a book called Think and Grow Rich. I, I read that book. Uh, uh, I, have, I used to have a hardcover copy of it. But there's a book called Outwitting the Devil. Now, I got audio pieces I'm going to play that um, <clears throat> is narrated. Okay, it's an audio book. But Outwitting the Devil is a thought-provoking and unconventional book um, that has, uh, was, has been known as Napoleon Hill's classic work. Um, again, f- kind of derived from that Think and Grow Rich book. Now, in this book, Outwitting the Devil, Napoleon Hill personifies the devil and engages in a dialogue shedding light on the strategies that are used by negative forces to control the human mind and hinder personal development. Now, the central theme revolves around the concept of drifting, okay, drifting, living a life without purpose, driven by fear, doubt, and lack of self-discipline. Now, Hill explores how drifting leads people away from their goals, leaving them vulnerable to the devil's influence, and basically leaving us to be stupid and ignorant of how we are the world's chattel. We are a farm that everybody leeches and sucks out all of our resources out of us through the unconstitutional, through the illegal taxation. And so he identifies drifting as a state where people allow external forces, external distractions, and negative influences to dictate our lives rather than taking charge themselves. And throughout the, you know, the conversation, Napoleon Hill emphasizes the importance of self-control, definiteness of purpose, and maintaining a positive mental attitude. And he advocates for the mastery of one's thoughts promoting the idea that a focused mind coupled with a clear purpose and unwavering determination can prevent succumbing to the devil's temptations. This is a very important podcast, ladies and gentlemen, that I'm about to, that that's going to be aired here. Okay. With that, that, that people can download. And I recommend that you share this particular podcast with everybody, because this is, I think how we take our nation back before we can take our nation back. People have to take their minds back. 
after I, I listened to this audiobook three separate times. It's a five-hour audiobook. I listened to 15 hours of this three times over collectively. There is so much profound information in this. And it dawned on me, the only way we get our country back and be able to have a successful reassembly of all 50 states is when people start taking their minds back. And I think that is exactly what is happening through these little red pilling events that we see on mainstream media and through you know different podcasters and stuff like this. People are slowly activating their brains. But until we release the brains and chains and unshackle them, we are still going to be enslaved. We need a ton more people that need to unshackle their brains. So this book dives into the various facets of human life, addressing how fear, indecision, and the lack of discipline acts as a stumbling block or stumbling blocks to personal growth and success. And Napoleon Hill encourages readers to develop a strong sense of self-awareness and taking charge of their thoughts, actions, and decisions to avoid drifting aimlessly through life. He also offers practical strategies in this book and, and principles to empower people, urging them to break free from the shackles of negativity, fear, and procrastination. He also emphasizes the, uh, the, uh, the significance of developing a burning desire to succeed, fostering resilience, and creating a definite plan to achieve one's goals. Again, this is the only way that we can be successful in our general general assemblies. You have to have a burning desire to succeed. Otherwise, we will not succeed if you don't have the burning desire. Okay. It's like David Ramsey or uh, Dave Ramsey always said. Okay. It's like Dave Ramsey always says, before you make the decision to do the debt snowball and to pay off your debt, you have to be sick and tired of being sick and tired. You have to be sick and tired of not being able to afford a pizza on Friday night because you are so far behind bills because you've racked up so much debt of trying to get that $100,000 car that you want to impress your neighbors that you don't even like. You have to be sick and tired of being sick and tired. Where's that burning desire to get you to get you off your rear end and start acting to improve your personal life? So ultimately, this book that I'm going to play audio clips of outwitting the devil. It serves as a compelling reminder of the power within each person, each man and woman that they have the ability. You have the ability folks. I'm talking directly to you. You and I have the ability not only to cast demons and Satan back into hell, but to outwit them, outwit the devil. And we have the power to outwit the negative influences that seek to control our lives. But again, you have to have that burning desire to be able to do that. You have to have the ability to step outside of your ignorance and understand what is at play here. And so this encourages readers to take responsibility, to cultivate a positive mindset, and to forge ahead on a path of purpose and self-determination, which thereby which results in what, ladies and gentlemen? Reclaiming control over your own destiny. Like I've heard Oscar say once in this chat, God gives us the shovel, but it's up to us to dig. He gives us the tools. God gives us the tools, but it's up to us to dig, you know, to, to, to use those tools. Well, Jason, what are the tools? Well, it's the Holy Bible for one. It's personal discernment. But if you don't turn down the distractions and turn up God, how the heck are you going to even follow? How, how the heck are you going to even live out your purpose in life. 
if you're distracted here on the farm that they call the United States. So here's the first part of the audiobook I'm going to play. And again, this is going to be a two-part series. I have a ton of audio. And so to prevent this from being like a three-hour podcast, this is going to be, there's going to be a second part to this. Um, I know tomorrow is Christmas Eve, but I'm probably, let's see, I'm not going to do a podcast tomorrow. Let me think about this. And then Monday's Christmas. Um, wait, wait, wait. Yeah, yeah. Today's Saturday. Yeah. So tomorrow's Christmas Eve. And then Christmas is on Monday. So Tuesday. And we'll do a podcast on Tuesday. The part two will come out Tuesday evening. Okay. So here's first audio, cut one. Here begins the interview with the devil. I have uncovered the secret code by which I can pick up your thoughts. I have come to ask you some very plain questions. I demand that you give me direct and truthful answers. Are you ready for the interview, Mr. Devil? Yes, I am. But you must address me with more respect. During this interview, you will address me as Your Majesty. By what right do you demand such royal respect? You should know I control 98% of the people of your world. Do you not think that entitles me to rate as royalty? Have you proof of your claim? Yes, plenty of it. Of what does your proof consist? Of many things. If you want answers, you will address me as Your Majesty. Some things you will understand, some you will not. In order that you may get my viewpoint, I shall describe myself and correct the false notions people have of me and my place of abode. That is a fine idea, Your Majesty. Start by telling me where you live, then describe your physical appearance. My physical appearance? <laughs> Why, my dear Mr. Earthbound, I have no physical body. I would be handicapped by such an encumbrance as those in which you Earthbound creatures live. I consist of negative energy, and I live in the minds of people who fear me. I also occupy one half of every atom of physical matter and every unit of mental and physical energy. Perhaps you will better understand my nature if I tell you I am the negative portion of the atom. Oh, I see what you are preparing to claim. You are laying the foundation to say that if it were not for you, there would be no world, no stars, no electrons, no atoms, no human beings, nothing. Is that correct? True. Absolutely true. Well, if you only occupy one half of energy and matter, who occupies the other half? The other half is occupied by my opposition. Opposition? What do you mean? The opposition is what you earthbound call God. So you have the universe divided up with God. Is that your claim? Not my claim, but the actual fact. Before this interview is finished, you will understand why my claim is true. You will also understand why it has to be true, or there could be no world such as yours, no earthbound creatures such as you. I am no beast with a forked tongue and a spiked tail. But you do control the minds of 98 out of every 100 people. You said so yourself. Who causes all the misery in this 98% devil-controlled world if you do not? I have not said that I do not cause all the misery of the world. On the other hand, I boast of it. It is my business to represent the negative side of everything, including the thoughts of you earthbound people. How else could I control people? My opposition controls positive thought. I control negative thought. How do you gain control of the minds of people? Oh, that is easy. I merely move in and occupy the unused space of the human brain. I sow the seeds of negative thought in the minds of people so I can occupy and control the space. You must have many tricks and devices by which you gain and hold control of the human mind. 
To be sure, I employ tricks and devices to control human thought. My devices are clever ones, too. Go ahead and describe your clever tricks, Your Majesty. One of my cleverest devices for mind control is fear. I plant the seed of fear in the minds of people, and as these seeds germinate and grow, through use, I control the space they occupy. The six most effective fears are the fear of poverty, criticism, ill health, loss of love, old age, and death. Which of these six fears serves you most often, Your Majesty? The first and the last, poverty and death. At one time or another during life, I tighten my grip on all people through one or both of these. I plant these fears in the minds of people so deftly that they believe them to be their own creation. I accomplish this end by making people believe I am standing just beyond the entrance gate of the next life, waiting to claim them after death for eternal punishment. Of course, I cannot punish anyone, except in that person's own mind, through some form of fear. But fear of the thing which does not exist is just as useful to me as fear of that which does exist. All forms of fear extend the space I occupy in the human mind. Your Majesty, will you explain how you gained this control over human beings? The story is too long to be told in a few words. It began over a million years ago when the first man began to think. Up to that time I had control over all mankind, but enemies of mine discovered the power of positive thought, placed it in the minds of men, and then began a battle on my part to remain in control. So far I have done quite well by myself, having lost only two percent of the people to the opposition. I take it from your answer that men who think are your enemies, is that right? It is not right, but it is correct. Tell me something more about the world in which you live. I live wherever I choose. Time and space do not exist for me. I am a force best described to you as energy. My favorite physical dwelling place, as I have told you, is in the minds of the earthbound. I control a part of the brain space of every human being. The amount of space I occupy in each and how little and what sort of thinking that person does. As I have told you, I cannot entirely control any person who thinks. You speak of your opposition. Just what do you mean by that? My opponent controls all the positive forces of the world, such as love, faith, hope, and optimism. My opponent also controls the positive factors of all natural law throughout the universe, the forces which keep the earth and the planets and all the stars balanced in their courses. But these forces are meek in comparison with those which operate in the human mind under my control. You see, I do not seek to control stars and planets. I prefer the control of human minds. Where did you acquire your power, and by what means do you add to it? I add to my power by appropriating the mind power of the earthbound as they come through the gate at the time of death. Every one hundred who come back to my plane from the earth plane are taken over by me, and their mind power is added to my being. I get all who come over with any form of fear. You see, I am constantly at work, preparing the minds of people before death so I can appropriate them when they come back to my plane. Will you tell me how you go about your job of preparing human minds so you can control them? I have countless ways of gaining control of human minds while they are still on the earth plane. My greatest weapon is poverty. I deliberately discourage people from accumulating material wealth because poverty discourages men from thinking and makes them easy prey for me. My next best friend is ill health. An unhealthy body discourages thinking. 
Then I have countless thousands of workers on Earth who aid me in gaining control of human minds. I have these agents placed in every calling. They represent every race and creed, every religion. Who are your greatest enemies on Earth, Your Majesty? All who inspire people to think and act on their own initiative are my enemies. Such men as Socrates, Confucius, Voltaire, Emerson, Thomas Paine, and Abraham Lincoln. Very interesting, isn't it, ladies and gentlemen? Isn't that very interesting? How, again, like it emphasizes, he emphasizes how he lives. So, so many people, we are painted up so many different uh, illustrations in media, in cartoons, and, you know, different forms of, you know, digital, digitized, uh, whatever tools that the devil is either someone who looks debonair, right? Like a G someone out of a GQ cover magazine, someone who is very cunning, right? And that might be okay. The devil can take on many forms, but the one thing that the devil tries to do is to, to try to convince people that he does not exist, but like he was illustrating here and this makes sense. Okay. But like he was saying here is his favorite dwelling place is in the minds of the drifter. Okay. And the drifter would be the person who allows themselves to get, um, um, distracted. Forgive me for having a brain fart there. I'm like typing while I'm talking at the same time, outwitting the devil real quick. I'm just trying to think when this was written, when was this written? Hold on. Uh, so this book came out, by the way, in 1938. Okay. So this is an older publishing. Okay. 1938. So I, the reason I say that is because when I listened to this book, it spoke favorably in the beginning of the book, by the way. So if you buy this book, it spoke favorably about the Rockefellers, about how the Rockefeller, uh, Rockefeller's wealth is, is, is deemed a threat to to the devil because he's using his money to explore, uh, medical, uh, discoveries, which helps prevent disease and stuff like that. So obviously this was written at a time before people even knew who the Rockefellers were and are. Obviously we are learning now in modern day, almost a hundred years later, eh, not quite a hundred years, but you know, uh, a little over 85, 80, you know, 85 to 90 years later, who the Rockefellers are and who the Rothschilds are, right? Like we're learning about who these people are, <clears throat> right? So there are some things that, that is talked about in this book that we know the truth on today that they didn't know back then. And even if they did know back then, just like any history book, they're not going to put it out there for the public because again, what they're trying to do is create a massive amount of drifters. So again, I'm going to give this author the benefit of the doubt, but nonetheless, this is still a good book. Um, a very good book. Now, again, I thought it was very compelling. Again, the devil, if you are a drifter and you have a weak mind and you don't actively think this is why folks, this is why at the beginning of my podcast, I have changed my greeting. I've changed my greeting to you are tuned into his hardline podcast where we ignite independent and accurate thought, break the chains of and shackles of mental bondage and challenge societal norms and traverse through the timeless teachings of our heavenly father and join us to, as we liberate minds and embrace the power of the great awakening while embracing true sovereignty. There's a reason why I changed that up. 
because this book, let me tell you, really inspired me and really hit home with me that the only way we fix our nation is when people learn to unshackle their brains. They need to release themselves from the bondage of the evil forces that distract them on a daily basis, like addiction of alcohol and drugs and pornography and gambling and continuous endless hours of binge watching, you know, all these different streaming platforms from whatever, put insert vice here. Okay. It's like the old saying goes, we've always heard an idle mind is the devil's workshop. And there is a lot of profound truth in that. Now let's get into the next audio piece here. Let's see here. Let me go to it. What must be done to ensure against the habit of drifting? I want a complete formula that anyone can use. Protection against drifting lies within easy reach of every human being who has a normal body and a sound mind. The self-defense can be applied through these simple methods. 1. Do your own thinking on all occasions. The fact that human beings are given complete control over nothing save the power to think their own thoughts is laden with significance. 2. Decide definitely what you want from life, then create a plan for attaining it and be willing to sacrifice everything else if necessary, rather than accept permanent defeat. 3. Analyze temporary defeat, no matter of what nature or cause, and extract from it the seed of an equivalent advantage. 4. Be willing to render useful service equivalent to the value of all material things you demand of life, and render the service first. 5. Recognize that your brain is a receiving set that can be attuned to receive communications from the universal storehouse of infinite intelligence to help you transmute your desires into their physical equivalent. 6. Recognize that your greatest asset is time, the only thing except the power of thought which you own outright, and the one thing which can be shaped into whatever material things you want. Budget your time so none of it is wasted. 7. Recognize the truth that fear generally is a filler with which the devil occupies the unused portion of your mind. That it is only a state of mind which you can control by filling the space it occupies with faith in your ability to make life provide you with whatever you demand of it. 8. When you pray, do not beg. Demand what you want and insist upon getting exactly that with no substitutes. 9. Recognize that life is a cruel taskmaster, and that either you master it or it masters you. There is no halfway or compromising point. Never accept from life anything you do not want. If that which you do not want is temporarily forced upon you, you can refuse in your own mind to accept it, and it will make way for the thing you do want. 10. Lastly, remember that your dominating thoughts attract, through a definite law of nature, by the shortest and most convenient route, their physical counterpart. Be careful what thoughts you dwell upon. Yeah, I, I really agree with all of that. So basically what the, what the interviewer was doing here again, again, cause this book is again called outwitting the devil. And because of the power we hold over Satan, he has to listen to us again. If you are a critical thinker and you are an accurate thinker and, and you require to have, you know, 
independent thought. You, you need to activate independent thought. You can outwit the devil as well, but it's not an easy task because you always have to be on your game. You always have to be making sure that you have a definite purpose in your life, that you are actively definitive in everything you do. Don't allow yourself to be idle. One of the, so basically this list that he was giving, because again, he was asked, how do you prevent people from being drifting? Like, how can you be someone that is not a drifter? How can you be part of the 2% of the world that are not drifters? And he basically, again, was laying out what you need to do. Now, back to the whole praying thing. I listened to that a few different times where he was saying, don't beg, but demand what you want definitively. So basically, I've heard other people say things similar to that. But basically what he's saying is, don't let your prayers be vague. Be thoughtful with your prayer. If you're going to pray to God, our Heavenly Father, if you're going to be a person that is not a drifter, you have to be specific about your prayers. It's like target shooting. You're not going to just take a gun and just aimlessly shoot from the hip and hope you hit your target. You have to align your sights with your target. You have to make sure you're steady. Have proper breathing and squeeze, not pull the trigger, but squeeze. Praying is the same way because prayer is a form of weapon for spiritual warfare. So if we are to not be drifters in this world, we have to learn to be directed and definitive and direct our prayers in such a fashion as if we are firing a gun. Okay, because if you just shotgun it from your hip, you're not, you're not going to probably hit your target. I mean, you might, but more than likely, you're probably not. So you have to be very, uh, what's the word I'm saying here? You have to be very precise with your prayer. Now, here is the next audio piece. That list looks imposing. Give me a simple formula, combining all the 10 points. If you had to combine all 10 in one, what would it be? Be definite in everything you do and never leave unfinished thoughts in the mind. Form the habit of reaching definite decisions on all subjects. Can the habit of drifting be broken, or does it become permanent once it has been formed? The habit can be broken if the victim has enough willpower, providing it is done in time. There is a point beyond which the habit can never be broken. Beyond that point, the victim is mine. He resembles a fly that has been caught in a spider's web. He may struggle, but he cannot get out. Each move he makes entangles him more securely. The web in which I entangle my victims permanently is a law of nature not yet isolated by or understood by men of science. What is this mysterious law through which you take permanent control of people's bodies, even before you take over their souls? The whole world will want to know more about this law and how it operates. It will be hard to describe the law so you will understand it, but you may call it hypnotic rhythm. It is the same law through which people can be hypnotized. So you have the power to use the laws of nature as a web in which you bind your victims in eternal control. Is that your claim? That is not only my claim, it is the truth. I take over their minds and bodies even before they die whenever I can lure them or frighten them into hypnotic rhythm. What is hypnotic rhythm? How do you use it to gain permanent mastery over human beings? I will have to go back into time and space and give you a brief elementary description of how nature uses hypnotic rhythm. Otherwise, you will not be able to understand my description of how I use this universal law to control human beings. 
Go ahead, but keep your story confined to simple illustrations which come within the range of my own experience and knowledge of natural laws. Very well. I shall do my best. You, of course, know that nature maintains a perfect balance between all the elements and all the energy in the universe. You can see that the stars and the planets move with perfect precision, each one keeping its own place in time and space. You can see that the seasons of the year come and go with perfect regularity. You can see that an oak tree grows from an acorn, and a pine grows from the seed of its ancestor. An acorn never produces a pine, and a pine seed never produces an oak. These are simple things which anyone can understand. What one cannot see is the universal law through which nature maintains perfect balance throughout the myriad of universes. You, earthbound, caught a fragmentary glimpse of this great universal law when Newton discovered that it holds your earth in its position and causes all material objects to be attracted toward the center of the earth. He called the law gravitation. But he did not go far enough in his study of the law. If he had, he would have discovered that the same law which holds your earth in position and helps nature maintain a perfect balance over the four dimensions, in which all matter and energy are contained, is the web in which I entangle and control the minds of human beings. So again, this is a, the, the, a summarized list of the 10 things that you can do to keep yourself not in the brains and, you know, the, having a brain in chains, right? He basically summarizes what you can do to not allow him, right? The devil from infiltrating your mind, because if you let the devil infiltrate your mind, well, guess what? Then that's when you become stupid, ignorant, um, uh, and, you know, just overall, you just allow to be some sort of automaton that just you're just a robot now at this point. OK, this is why the elite look at the people in America as chattel, because like we were reading, like we were saying before in that video that was played before the guy with all the F-bombs, we are like the farm. We are the stupid ATM of the rest of the world and how wide that world expands is beyond our comprehension. If you're a believer in the ice wall and continents and lands beyond the ice wall, which I'm happen to subscribe to that thought process. But until then, we don't really have any definitive proof of at least not available to us. But we are the center of stupidity, honestly. I mean that again, we are the world's ATM and that's why we are taxed beyond oblivion for everything. And yet we just willing, willy nilly accept it. Same thing with Canada. It's not that you just the United States. Same thing with Canada. Canada is taxed beyond freaking measure too. All right. Next, next audio piece. Like I said, I have a ton of audio pieces. It's a five hour audio book. I'm not going to play the whole thing here. I just tried to capture highlights that I thought were very relevant. Here's the next one here. I may as well take time out to do a little boasting on my own account. Now that you have had your fling at it. I will confine myself to one question, the answer to which will give me all the satisfaction I want. Is it not true that you control only the minds of those who have allowed the drifting habit to be fixed upon them? Yes, that is true. I have already admitted this truth in a dozen or more different ways. Why do you tantalize me by repeating the question? There is power in repetition. I'm forcing you to repeat the highlights of your confession in as many different ways as possible so your victims may check this interview and determine its soundness by their own experiences with you. I love it because the author here basically 
takes a jab at the devil by asking a, the same question over and over and over again. And it's irritating the devil because he's like, why are you tantalizing me by asking? I've already answered this to you. Why are you asking me this? Because you are basically irritating me. And like the author said, like the interviewer said, there is power in repetition. Now, I want you to keep this in mind, folks. There is power in repetition. Okay, that's why they say it takes 21 days, 20 or 21 days to form a good habit or to drop a bad habit. You got to repeat this same thing in order to formulate a habit or drop a bad habit. But just like the fake news media out there that we are all have been subjected to now, hopefully not anymore, because here's the thing. I'm just going to claim this right now. Whoever's listening to this and has always been listening to this, you are part of the 2%. Okay, you are not a drifter. You are a critical thinker. You are an accurate thinker. You are an independent thinker. Okay, and that's what I love about this community. We go by we want quality of individuals, men and women over here, just like in the assembly, the reassembly of states. We don't want quantity. We want quality. We need independent, accurate thinkers. And so because of the power of repetition, that's what the news media relies on. You tell an, a lie enough times it becomes truth in people's minds hence commence commencing the the process of brainwashing okay the news media relies on the power of repetition to put lies in your head and to make it truth do you see why we cannot allow ourselves to be subjected to the news media fake news media okay next audio piece Go ahead now and confess why you are powerless to stop me from forcing this confession from you. I want your confession for aid and comfort to victims of yours whom I intend to release from your control the moment they read your confession. I am powerless to influence or control you because you have found the secret approach to my kingdom. You know that I exist only in the minds of people who have fears. You know that I control only the drifters who neglect to use their own minds. You know that my hell is here on earth and not in the world that comes after death. And you know also that drifters supply all the fire I use in my hell. You know that I am a principle or form of energy which expresses the negative side of matter and energy, and that I am not a person with a forked tongue and a spiked tail. You have become my master because you have mastered all your fears. Lastly, you know that you can release all of my earthbound victims whom you contact, and this definite knowledge is the blow with which you will deal me the greatest damage. I cannot control you because you have discovered your own mind, and you have taken charge of it. There now, Mr. Earthbound, that confession should feed your vanity to the bursting point. That last... Yeah, and we're going to make a correction here. Yes, Satan is forked tongued. He might not have a pointy tail, but he is forked tongued because he is representative of the serpent, which is also a forked tongued creature. Okay. But I love it because he, again, what is being unlocked here is in this question, in this answer that he gives here, he releases the reason why um, the 2% can't be you know, with a person who is drifting, he releases basically the answer of how um, the interviewer can't be controlled by Satan. And again, it all is derived from having possession of your own mind. 
You have to have possession of your own mind. This is why I believe Jesus was sent down here on earth by our heavenly father. Okay, this is why Jesus was sent down. Again, it was a power play by God to teach people what you need to do to have power and dominion, not only of this world, but over the evil forces. This is why we invoke the name of Jesus Christ. Now, let's get to the next audio piece here. Before we close out today, Freedom Force Battalion show. Oh, that's a different audio I want to get to later. Hold on. Next one. My greatest weapon over human beings consists of two secret principles by which I gain control of their minds. I will speak first of the principle of habit, through which I silently enter the minds of people. By operating through this principle, I establish, I wish I could avoid using this word, the habit of drifting. When a person begins to drift on any subject, he is headed straight toward the gates of what you earthbound call hell. Describe all the ways in which you induce people to drift. Define the word and tell us exactly what you mean by it. I can best define the word drift by saying that people who think for themselves never drift while those who do little or no thinking for themselves are drifters. A drifter is one who permits himself to be influenced and controlled by circumstances outside of his own mind. He would rather let me occupy his mind and do his thinking than go to the trouble of thinking for himself. A drifter is one who accepts whatever life throws in his way without making a protest or putting up a fight. He doesn't know what he wants from life and spends all of his time getting just that. A drifter has lots of opinions, but they are not his own. Most of them are supplied by me. That's right. A drifter is one who is too lazy mentally to use his own brain. That is the reason I can take control of people's thinking and plant my own ideas in their minds. I think I understand what a drifter is. Do you see how this works? Do you see how this works, ladies and gentlemen? This is very interesting. And listen, I'm actually like looking. Hold on a second. Let me look here for a second. I am looking at my audio you know what i think we're going to power through these audios i thought it would take longer than normal we're going to power through this it's saturday uh, it's you know i think because you know this is too good of information to just have this be a part two and wait a few days before we play this um so what i'm going to do is we're going to we're going to power through this uh let me just delete that one real quick um let me make sure you yeah, delete that one. Okay. So yeah, we got a couple few more audio clips here, but this is again, this is all very important. This is again, he defines what a drifter is. Okay. And we need to increase that 2% to much higher. Okay. The 98% are the people that are sleeping. This is why I think the great awakening is occurring because people are starting to understand, oh my gosh, we have drifted so much away from God and allowed ourselves to be so stupid and so complacent and so incompetent, right? We, we decided this again, this is how the, the country fell into the power and clutches of the cabal. Okay. Because we allowed ourselves to be, allow somebody else to do our thinking for us. And, and Nancy was saying right here, I've tried to get too many drifters to understand why they need to assemble. And I think we all are dealing with that same challenge. This goes much bigger than us, folks. I, this is definitely a God thing. And our Heavenly Father is going to be the one that's going to be able to hopefully shake up the world. But 
you know, more and more people need to be shaken out of their slumber and they need to, they need to, how do I want to say, they just need to wake up. They just need to wake up. Here's the next audio piece. Chief among them, sex and the desire for self-expression. What effect did your bribes have on me? They caused you. So basically what, what the, uh, what the interviewer is asking here is how did I get out of your clutches? That's what he's basically asking. To neglect your major purpose in life and started you to drifting. Was that all you did to me through your bribes? The and to add on to this, this is why the power of marriage is so important, right? A good, solid marriage that is uh, basically backed by God. Listen. It was plenty. But I am back on the track and out of your reach now, am I not? Yes, you are temporarily out of my reach because you are not drifting. What broke your spell over me and released me from the habit of drifting? My answer may humiliate you. Do you want to hear it? Go ahead and give it to me, your majesty. I wish to learn how much truth I can stand. When you found a great love in the woman of your choice, I lost my grip on you. So you are going to accuse me of hiding behind a woman's skirts, are you? No, not hiding. I wouldn't put it that way. I would say you have learned how to give yourself a solid background with the embellishment of a woman's mind. The woman's skirt has nothing to do with it, then. No, but her brain does. When you and your wife began to combine your two brains through your habit of masterminding every day, you stumbled upon the secret power with which you forced me into this confession. Is that the truth, or are you trying to flatter me again? I could flatter you if I had you alone, but I cannot flatter you while you have the use of your wife's mind. I'm beginning to catch on to something important. I'm beginning to understand what was meant by the writer of that passage in the Bible, which says substantially, when two or more meet together and ask for anything in my name, it shall be granted. It is true, then, that two minds are better than one. It is not only true. It is necessary before anyone can continuously contact the great storehouse of infinite intelligence, wherein is stored all that is, all that ever was, and all that can ever be. Is there such a storehouse? If there had not been, you would not, could not, now be humiliating me with this silly forced confession. Isn't it dangerous to give this sort of information to the world? Sure, it is dangerous to me. If I were you, I would not give it out. Let us get back now to the technique through which you fasten on your victims the habit of drifting. What is the very first step a drifter must take to break the habit? A burning desire to break it. You, of course, know that no one can be hypnotized by another person without his willingness to be hypnotized. Neither can nature place one under the spell of hypnotic rhythm without his willingness to be hypnotized. The willingness may assume the form of indifference toward life generally, lack of ambition, fear, lack of definiteness of purpose, and many other forms. Nature does not need one's consent in order to place him under the spell of hypnotic rhythm. It needs only to find him off guard through any form of neglect to use his own mind. Remember this, whatever you have, you use it or you lose it.
And to add on to the whole two people that join together in my name, right? <clears throat> I will be there, right? In that Bible verse. Let's also not forget and overlook again, because he's talking about the man and the woman being married, right? Where two minds come together, basically masterminding against Satan if you if done properly. But in Mark chapter 10, verses 8 through 10, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. And this is exactly why Satan tries to separate men and women out of the holy matrimony of marriage, right? It is a, it is something that he knows, that Satan knows, that when you have a power of family, right, men and women that come together in marriage, this is why he tries so hard to break up the family, because the family is the strong foundational building block that creates a strong nation. And this is exactly why he tries to break up the family. Let's get into the next last couple audio pieces. We're almost done here. Next audio. Before we close out. Are you by any chance in politics too? Your technique <laughs> seems frightfully familiar. <laughs> am I in politics? If I am not in politics, who do you believe starts depressions and forces people into wars? Surely you would not lay this at the door of my opposition. As I have already told you, I have allies in all walks of life to help me in connection with all human relationships. Why don't you take over the churches and use them outright in your cause? Do you think I am a fool? Who would keep alive the fear of the devil if I subdued the churches? Who would serve as a decoy to attract the attention of people while I manipulate their minds if I did not have some agency through which to sow the seeds of fear and doubt? The cleverest thing I do is to use the allies of my opposition to keep the fear of hell burning in the minds of people. As long as people fear something, no matter what, I will keep a grip on them. I am beginning to see your scheme. You use the churches to plant the seed of fear and uncertainty and indefiniteness in the minds of people. These negative states of mind cause people to form the habit of drifting. This habit crystallizes into permanency through the law of hypnotic rhythm. Then the victim is helpless to help himself, is that right? Hypnotic rhythm, then, is something to be watched and respected. A better way of stating the truth is that hypnotic rhythm is something to be studied, understood, and voluntarily applied to attain definite desired ends. If the force of hypnotic rhythm is not voluntarily applied to attain definite ends, may it be a great danger? Yes, and for the reason that it operates automatically. If it is not consciously applied to attain a desired end, it can and it will operate to attain undesired ends. Yeah, that is very, very interesting. Um, I'm trying to remember. There's something he said in here that I just it completely fleeted my mind that he said that was very key here. Hold on. I am outright in your cause. Do you think I am a fool? Who would keep alive the fear of the devil? If oh, there it is. Okay, the fear. This is why the Bible said that's right. That I, I knew I needed to write this down so I didn't forget. But this is why it says in the Bible over 360 plus times, depending on the version of the Bible that you present, you know, that you obtain, fear not, do not fear, have no fear, have no fear. Because fear not only is a liar, but fear is a mechanism that is used by the evil forces of this world, devil and Satan, you know, basically, uh, specifically to keep you under control. Have no fear. Let's power through the next couple little audio pieces, and then we'll end this out in, in a conclusion and a prayer. To the churches for a moment. 
All my life, I've heard clergymen preaching against sin and warning sinners to beware and repent so they could be saved. But I've never heard any of them tell me what sin is. Will you give me some light on this subject? Sin is anything one does or thinks which causes one to be unhappy. Human beings who are in sound physical and spiritual health should be at peace with themselves and always happy. Any form of mental or physical misery indicates the presence of sin. Name some of the common forms of sin. It is a sin to overeat because that leads to ill health and misery. It is a sin to overindulge in sex because that breaks down one's willpower and leads to the habit of drifting. It is a sin to permit one's mind to be dominated by negative thoughts of envy, greed, fear, hatred, intolerance, vanity, self-pity, or discouragement because these states of mind lead to the habit of drifting. It is a sin to cheat, lie, and steal because these habits destroy self-respect, subdue one's conscience, and lead to unhappiness. It is a sin to remain in ignorance, because that leads to poverty and loss of self-reliance. Did you hear that? It is a sin to remain in ignorance. This is why we, this is why Destry always says, ignorance is unbecoming. You cannot remain in ignorance willingly. Now, are we all ignorant of certain subjects and topics of life? Um, Yes, you don't know what you don't know, but if you are presented with the truth and the facts and the findings and the evidence of specific things that, you know, or, that we've been lied to about in life, but you decide to reject them anyways, that is also a form of sin. You are being presented with the facts and evidence, like the Holy Bible, for example, the good book by our Heavenly Father. If you reject that truth, it is a sin to remain in ignorance of that truth. It is a sin to accept from life anything one does not want, because that indicates an unpardonable neglect to use the mind. Is it a sin for one to drift through life without definite aim, plan, or purpose? Yes, because this habit leads to poverty and destroys the privilege of self-determination. It also deprives one of the privilege of using his own mind as a medium of contact with infinite intelligence. Are you the chief inspirer of sin? Yes. All right, last audio piece, and then we'll do a conclusion here. But yeah, he goes into again all the ways that you uh, that 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 there, you know all the different types of sin. It is a sin to overeat because it leads to what ill health and leads you to not being able to think properly. Okay, it leads you not to think properly. This is why I think they try so hard to get people. This is why you see so many fast food restaurants everywhere. This is why you have big giant food courts in malls. This is why everywhere you look, you can get access to any produced crappy factory made food. Okay, if you want to call it that, I use food loosely in this in this context here. But anywhere you eat, you have something you can consume in this slows us down. This hinders our thinking. This makes us dumb. It, it makes us unhealthy and ultimately leads to an early death. Hence the death tax, because if you have amassed a great amount of wealth, well, guess what? Not only have you paid all these taxes throughout your life, but now the wealth that you have that gets transferred to your um, children and other people throughout your family, they have to pay what's called a death tax now. And so no matter what, it is of their benefit. And when I say they, the evil cabal, right? It is of their benefit 
that they not only make you sick and profit off you through insurance and through the medical system, but then when you die, they still make money because then your descendants have to pay the taxes on the wealth that you've established. Do you see how deep this goes? Last audio. Oh, maybe not. Hold on. Is this it? Well, it looks like Jimmy Kimmel and his friends in Hollywood aren't yeah. going to be happy. I guess that's it. Hold on a second. I didn't mean to blow that in your ears here. Yeah, I guess that is all I have. I guess that was the last audio. My apologies. So, but anyways, but overall though, I hope this, this, this inspires you to maybe want to go get this book. I know my wife, I was playing some of these audio pieces for her uh, two nights ago and you know, she's more of a novel girl. She likes reading, you know, novels. And, but this is one of those books after I played a little bit of it, she's like, wow, I actually really want to get this book because she's not typically one of those people that likes to buy books that are, um, uh, structured in this format, right. That, um, again, um, again, again, she just, she likes novels. She likes reading, uh, like a storyline. Right. Um, but this book, the way it was put together and how she heard it, she's like, wow, I like really want to get this book now. I said, well, any Barnes and Noble should have it or any major bookstore, right? So anyways, but yeah, it, this is a really good book because again, it gets into the inner workings of how the people that don't use their minds and critically think are the ones that are most susceptible to the snares of the devil. And this is why it's so hard, I think, to reassemble, not impossible, okay? But it, it is a challenge to grow our general general assemblies. It is a challenge to get the control back into we, the people of this United States of America. Okay, because 2% are drifters or 98% of people are drifters and 2% are the people who see things for what it is. They see the truth for what it is. But we need to grow that percentage from 2% and bring it up to like 75%. And I think this is one of the reasons why the great awakening is occurring. Okay. The great awakening is occurring to get people wakened out of their slumber and to start using their minds to start understanding who they are. Know the power you have within you that was given to you by God. And that power lies in that gray matter in that thick skull of yours called the brain. This is why the distractions of life occur or, or exist. Alcohol. Drugs, pornography, gambling, sports, social media, the anxieties of the world in general, and, and, and the obsession of gaining likes, right? Social acceptance. This is why we have so many fast food chains around our country. To keep us unhealthy, fat, stupid, sick. So we can go and turn to the great, awesome, nasty medical establishment and get all their medical drugs that continuously keep us in a state of dis-ease, sick, unhealthy, and they keep profiting off of us. We are the farm known as the United States. It is up to us to take the farm over. We need to stop being the chattel. And we need to start being critical thinking men and women. We, the people, we need to convert the chattel to being we, the people again. This is how we restore the Republic. Ladies and gentlemen, this is very important. I cannot stress this enough. So anyways, 
I hope you all enjoyed this extremely long podcast, which is almost two hours long. But again, this is that important. Now, I also want to share one more parting story before we go into the prayer. So it is amazing how God really works. Okay, and I want to share this story with you because it is, boy, I tell you, it was really crazy how this worked. It goes to show you how powerful prayers are because my wife prays for me. Well, as you all know, I'm a gas hauler. I, I haul fuel for a major oil company. And so I'm on the road driving a 125, 26,000 pound bomb at any given time. And yesterday I had a shorter day. I only worked eight hours because that's what I had left on my 70 hour clock. And I was, uh, I, I offloaded my first gas station and then I had to load up some ethanol to bring back to a terminal on the coast of Michigan here in, in a town called Holland. Now. I'm going down I-96 and I got on the highway. So the, 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 the point at which I enter the highway is exit 67. Okay. I get on the highway and I start driving and all of a sudden, when I get to about exit 52, um, I get this weird strain, uh, not weird. I hate the word weird. It's a bad word. I get this strange feeling of you need to exit now and get a snack. Now, if you know me, I don't really snack throughout the day because I fast typically 20 hours during the day, 19 to 20 hours a day while I'm at work. I don't really eat or drink anything other than water and coffee until I get home. But I got this strange feeling to get off the exit, which has two, uh, has a truck stop. And then the other side of the highway has a really nice gas station that has, um, again, I'm not a big fan of gas station food, but if you're going to eat gas station food, I, like I always say, you better be able to watch them prepare it and make sure it's a sanitary surface. And so that particular gas station called bricks has that environment and they make like breakfast sandwiches and little stuff like that. So something prompted me to pull off the highway. Now in this process, I'm approaching about a half mile away from the exit and I'm battling in my mind, Jason, you're not hungry. Do not pull off. Why do you feel the urge to want to pull off at this exit? And so literally at the last moment, this is how spur of the moment was like, this is how the argument was going in my mind. I got so much to the point to where the exit approached and you know how it, it finally goes into that solid white line to where you're not legally supposed to cross over right by that exit. It got to that point where I, I was like almost going to hit grass. And then I, and I, I got off, right? I got off, I got off the highway. I got off the highway and I exited. And so I took my exit and I'm like, okay, wh where am I going to go? Like, why did I take this exit? I was so pissed at myself. I'm like, why did I take this exit? So then I was like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to go with it. I don't know why, but I'm going to go with it. So then I went to the gas station and I just got like a little $3, you know, I got a little breakfast sandwich. All right, great. I sat there and ate it. Wasn't even hungry. Wasn't even hungry, but something in my mind told me you want a snack. I'm like what? So I get back on the highway. This is like 15 minutes later now. All right. 15, 20 ish minutes later, I get back on the highway and I am passed by a fire truck, right? I see it in my mirrors. So I get over for emergency vehicles, right? Cause you're always supposed to merge and, and, and pull aside for emergency vehicles. For those of you that don't know. 
and this fire truck blazes past me. I'm like, holy crap. So I get past fire fire truck. I'm going a few more miles up the road. All of a sudden, I'm seeing a bunch of brake lights up ahead of me. I was like, oh man. So I stopped because I met a parking lot on the highway now. And so I turned on my CB and I was trying to get a, 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 a fit, you know, I was trying to get a gauge on what was happening up ahead. And I was hearing, I was hearing people say, yeah, there is an accident up ahead here. And, um, you know, it's a very bad accident. There's four cars that were involved and it happened because somebody saw it happen and they were stuck, a truck driver, another truck driver. They're like, it happened about 25 minutes ago. I was like, holy crap. I said, because this was the amount of time. Oh, I'm coming down to the last two minutes before I have to end the stream. Um, it's giving me a, a two minute warning. I was basically coming down to the point where I, I, I could have been in this accident. And so anyways, um, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, um, that's just the power of God right there. Anyways, I got to let you go. Podbean's about to kick me off here. This is the two-minute warning it's given me. I didn't know that. So anyways, I hope you all have a good day. God bless, ladies and gentlemen.